know God. I love me some Jesus. <laughs> too much. That's crazy. <laughs> That's on the next episode. It's the moon reading. I rock with you, Yaya. It's all love. They better listen to this advice. We good. You crazy, girl. This is what this show is about, all right? We with keep the it real. real and real talk. The God and God talk. And that's a wrap. Today is Tuesday, February 19th, and you're listening to Real Talk on God Talk, a podcast for people who skip church for brunch on Sundays. What's up, everybody? What's up, Yaya? So, listeners, last time you heard from us was for the sex episode. Yes, our also scandalous <laughs> sex episode. Uh, if you haven't listened, go back and do that. Um, but yeah, we were getting ready for Valentine's Day. How was yours, Truth? It was really good. Uh, I went with my girlfriend to uh, Namwa, which is a dim sum restaurant in New York City. It's one of the oldest like tea parlors in New York. So that was real cool. Did the smart thing and went the weekend before Valentine's Day so that I could avoid the crowds. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Think smart, not hard. Exactly. How was yours? Oh, my Valentine's Day was lovely. Um, so Bay and I have a tradition. We mm-hmm. see Casablanca every Valentine's Day. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, you know, like old black and white movie, get like into the spirit of romance. Yeah. And so uh, we went to Village East uh, Cinemas to go see it. It yeah. was really nice. Um, you know, the credits are coming down. Bay runs out to get, you know, popcorn, yeah. candy, all that stuff that I want. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and I've seen Casablanca a million times. So I'm ready for the romance. Like, I'm here for it. <laughs> and the credits start and the movie begins with like a big picture of a map of africa and you can see like all the countries carved out and it's like it's like a big ode to colonialism right <laughs> and i'm right. sitting there like seething mm. like i go from like super happy and yeah, romantic yeah. to just like angry Ooh. like uh i can't even enjoy a nice romance and like lose myself in a movie because the experience of being a black person yeah and just the racism that's apparent in movies, Hollywood, everywhere. Yeah. It just all came like rushing back to me. So that was my uh, Debbie Downer moment <laughs> for uh, Valentine's Day. But yeah. Aww. Damn, well, that sucks. Like you was on that high and then you came right back down. <laughs> back to life, back to reality. Yeah, damn, that really sucks. But your story is actually the perfect segue into this week's episode where we're going to be connecting with Kati Lau, a super dope scholar and black woman extraordinaire who researches African traditional religions. Hmm, I'm very curious, but I'm here for it. Black woman scholars studying Africa for Black History Month. That is a triple threat. Before we go there, let's give a rundown of this week's episode. It's tax season. So in God in the World, we'll explore the real meaning of what Jesus had to say in Matthew 22, 21, when asked about whether or not people should actually pay their taxes to their government. Spoiler alert, it wasn't quite yes. Then we're going to move right along to our Real Talk question of the week. Is it possible to be woke, black, and a Christian? We'll be speaking with Katalao as she gives us some insight into the field of African traditional religion. And she talks about how she navigates her own spirituality, despite knowing the role the church played in the colonization of Africa. Last, in keeping time with Yaya, we'll help you harness the energy from February 19th, Super Snow Moon. Ooh. (laughs) So this week, God in the World is all about taxes. A little story. 
Mm-hmm. So growing up, I would always I was just a little bossy. <laughs> you know? I just had opinions. <laughs> but I would always tell my mom, you know, what she had to do. Like, mommy, you have to take me to the store. Mommy, you have mm. to sign this permission slip. Mommy, you have to do this. You have to do that. <laughs> and her answer was, I don't have to do nothing but stay black, <laughs> pay my taxes, and die. Oh, dang. Right? <laughs> and as I get older, I'm starting to realize how hard all those things are. Yo, facts. <laughs> like, facts. the staying black part is at least fun. The dying <laughs> part is inevitable. What mm. we're going to do about that. Right. But the taxes, ooh, the taxes. That's I'm, a struggle right there. It's a struggle. I'm not <laughs> with the taxes. Yeah, and you know, in this tax season, like this year, it's projected to be like even more challenging than in previous years because there have been so many changes to the tax code and then we're coming off of the government shutdown. So it's like a, just another uphill battle for tax season. Right. And so, you know, here I am, no kids, no business <laughs> deductions, you know, none of these things right. happening. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not the most like pro-tax person personally. <laughs> like in theory, I get the whole tax thing. Yeah. You have to pay for roads. You have to yeah. pay for infrastructure. You have to pay for things to run, mm-hmm. healthcare. Mm-hmm. You have to take care of the society. So yeah. I totally get taxes. Where my problem comes in is one, as the rich and the wealthy get all these, you know, tax breaks, here come the poor middle class, like really carrying the burden. Absolutely. And then two, personally, I disagree with so much of what my tax dollars are spent for. Yeah. Like all these wars, all these weapons, mm-hmm. this idiot talking about build a wall with my money. Right. <laughs> like I'm good on that. I'm about to be like y'all 45th president and just not pay taxes at all. <laughs> like dub on that. For real, because what taxes are supposed to be for, it's not going towards that. It's not going towards the roads. You know how many potholes are on the road? Mm. Healthcare system is trash. Schools are trash. Like, so what the taxes are supposed to be going for, they're obviously not. So then it's like, so where is all our money going? You know, that's a whole, that's that's a whole, a whole different thing. segment exactly. altogether. You know but. what I'm saying? But it's like, if that's what taxes are supposed to be for, well, that's not what it's being used for. And what's funny is like, Jesus actually had the same issue where, like, people in his time did not want to pay taxes to a corrupt Roman government, which mm-hmm. we can all relate to, right? And so the book of Matthew offers a lesson about how to approach this issue of having to pay taxes, even though in your heart of hearts, you know the government is doing wrong. Mm. So, I know about that. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Matthew twenty two fifteen. It basically sets the stage for this conversation of, like, taxes. So just like today, taxes were, like, a real political issue in the time of Jesus. And Rome was taxing the hell out of the Jews. And the Jews were like, no, like, we really have enough. Like, you're taking so many taxes, we barely have enough to survive. And so the Pharisees were like, oh, this is the perfect opportunity for us to trap Jesus because if we ask him this question of should should people pay taxes, either way, whatever his answer was going to be, he would lose support. If he were to say, yes, pay taxes, then his radical supporters would be like, oh, he's a sellout, right? And then if he said, no, don't pay taxes, then he would lose the support of like the moderates and then piss off the Roman government. So it was like they wanted him in a lose-lose situation. And we see how this story ends. He did not want to piss <laughs> off right. the Exactly. Not too early. <laughs> so in typical Jesus fashion, he answered this trick question with like a trick answer to make them think even more. 
So in Matthew 22, 18 to 21, it says, but Jesus, knowing their evil intent said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a coin, which had the face of the emperor on it. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Mike, drop. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Mm. That is deep. Um, This story has many levels of meaning. Yep. Um, The first level is don't come for Jesus unless he sends for you. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The second being that um, it offers us the opportunity to consider the idea of money and like what it means Mm. for us. Money back then has Caesar's image on it. Today, it has American presidents or leaders of countries, and it represents the physical world, society, where we're at, like Mm -hmm. the the environment that we walk around in. Um, We got to do what we got to do. You got to pay your bills. You got to pay your taxes. Not trying to get thrown in jail. Nope. (laughs) For Mm -hmm. no BS. No. You know, like on one level, we live our everyday lives, you know, working with money. Yeah. And so it's okay to pay your taxes, even though you disagree with the government, even though you disagree with the direction that society is going in. On one hand, you live in the society. And so, you know, you have to work work the system for what it is. On the other hand, it's when Jesus says, and pay to God what is God's, that he invites us to to have like a deeper consideration of money and taxation. When Jesus says, pay to God what is God's, you know, we take a look at the money that has Caesar's image on it. That belongs to Caesar. Right. While we're made in God's image. What does that mean? Mm. Like, you know, the governments, the world that we live in today, it uses the currency as money to to give value to things. Mm-hmm. But we have value, our gifts, our talents and abilities mm-hmm. being made in God's image. And the same way we have to pay money to pay taxes, we have to pay ourselves to God. Absolutely. You know, we have to take our lives everything that we have mm-hmm. and pay to God, make use of ourselves. Yes. So food for thought. Oh, lots of just a little stuff for you to chew on. <laughs> okay. And that's so true because just like you were saying, I am with our gifts, with our talents, with our abilities, like this is how then we use them to also hold like our government accountable. Right. You know, it, it's not just about, Oh yeah, we're paying taxes and we're just going to go along with the show. It's like, no, this is, this is then we use all of this to hold our government accountable. So I really love that. And one side of that is, this is a spiritual side that we were talking about. And so a more practical side is because it is tax season, um, real talk on God talk. We have some resources up on our website about tips on how to navigate tax season during this time so that you don't miss the tax deadline. You know, you don't want to incur any additional penalties or anything like that so we got some good tips on the website so remember to check that out so since it's black history month we want to shine a light on black women scholars our guest today kati lao um is a black woman scholar Hey, everyone. Oh, my gosh. This is so exciting. Real talk on God talk. Yes. So excited. So excited. This is the realest honor ever. (laughs) I wish y'all could see her little dance. (laughs) (laughs) No, yesterday I had to braid my hair because I was like, I'm going to be on real talk on God talk. I have to look 
fresh. <laughs> right. but I, I know it's listening, but still. <laughs> you can't. It's okay. You, you look good, girl. Thank you, look you good. so much. So, out. Yes. Uh, tell us about yourself. How do you identify? What do we need to know? Sure. So I'm Kathy Lau. I am, I don't know, I'm just a student of of um, religion because I love God and I love talking about God all the time. Um, I identify as a cis woman um, and identify as straight and an African who loves Africa <laughs> and Africans. <laughs> yeah, and I love my ancestors. So that's what I've dedicated my life to figuring out how to honor all those entities and beings thank you that that's beautiful and like uh could you tell us a little bit about like where you're from how you grew up sure um so i was born in america but i grew up mainly in, in kenya then i moved back to america and i was raised by a single mother god bless her shouts to single mothers yes <laughs> um, artist workers in the room <laughs> amen i went to undergrad in um, upstate new york and then spent a few years after college trying to figure things out and god was like get your life together um <laughs> and so i went to um seminary and now i'm hopefully going to pursue a phd which will be exciting <laughs> yes we definitely need more black women scholars so so boom you said that you're kenyan you grew up you were born in America, grew up in Africa. A lot of my friends I met in college, mm-hmm. blessed to meet them, um, grew up in African households, super strict. Mm-hmm. Like, what what was the environment like? I mean, I'm, I will tell you the reason I'm, go- I'm going to get a PhD is because of how strict my household was. Like, my mother, Dada, said, like, no nail polish until you're eight, you're in college. No boyfriends <laughs> no until you're polish. in college. Like, li- like no TV past eight. P- like it was just like I think it was like there's so many sacrifices and everything is so in such a fragile state that um, I think our parents wanted us to just really be prepared for what the world like throws at African immigrant people and mm-hmm. black people. Um, and so um, I think we were just kind of raised that not only not so much fear for the world but preparation for what it takes to be to like make it um so that cause my mother was not having me back on her couch at the, age, at the age of 18 at 22 so i think my family has like a really weird religious background but my mother was like very keen on us going to church and her rule was as long as you live in my house you're going to church yeah, <laughs> which yeah. like as my religious um identity was like developing got harder and harder (laughs) so Mm. that stretch to college was really difficult but um we had a couple of fights but we managed to make it through amen (laughs) (laughs) amen to that (laughs) yeah so you said a weird religious background tell us more what do you mean i don't consider it christian because it wasn't um it wasn't well of course they're not they didn't go to theology school mm-hmm. but it was kind of it just seemed as though we were we went to church and we we prayed to Jesus because that's what they had been told they had to do and there was no questions about it mm-hmm. and so we weren't really allowed to ask questions or really wonder what what does it mean to be like praying to this god of a people we don't I like I didn't trust I didn't trust like the hegemonic state through which um Christianity had come to my people and it just um, it just felt weird. Like I didn't understand how I was being made to pray to some some entity who I was supposed to f- fully trust, and yet when I went to church, I was always crying. You know, right. so it was, and it was weird because it. My mother, she grew up in a time when you didn't ask why, you just did it. So I don't think she really had the language to even talk to me about what it meant that I was not happy with with practicing what I was having to practice. So, got you. 
And yeah. how would you say you identify now? Um, so now I identify as an African traditionalist from the Akamba tribe, which which is where my um my people are from. I will say I don't obviously I don't speak for everyone, nor, right. <laughs> and, I, and it's it's going to take a lifetime to learn everything that I didn't take the time to learn when I was younger. I right. didn't have the opportunity to learn, and everything that's been taken away because of colonialism. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, it's been wonderful to to find um, those lessons just come into your heart. Um, occasionally which is nice to like recognize so and how how would you describe like an african traditionalist like for our listeners like could you unpack that a little bit well how i understand it i um the earth is everything to to how i understand my tradition um and it's there is no there's no one day a week there is no sabbath day there's no time for prayer there's no time to like think about god every moment of, of my being i feel like i'm in practice of that and i um upon realizing that i think it was a bit daunting at first to be like whoa it's not just sunday it's every moment every day but it ended up actually became really freeing um to just let myself be honest with myself about what i wanted how i wanted to live and what values i wanted to have to me it's looking at trees and finding joy not only because they're beautiful but because they bring me oxygen and recognizing the sacredness of that oxygen um it's looking at water um whether from a faucet or from the river and just being so excited that once again something that's so that's appeared so simple for so long in my life is this is the only reason that I'm standing um it gets overwhelming because of how much how much beauty there is but um it's fun (laughs) it's really yeah I would think I would describe it as fun because every moment every day you're just you're you're seeing God's beautiful beautiful design um like when i see butterflies that's insane i'm like what (laughs) you had all the time to create a butterfly out of the entire universe you're like we need this really beautiful like tiny thing to just flitter flatter what i love god god's great i love that that is so awesome and i I am actually in awe as to how you described right now your relationship with like God because I feel like that is one of the best descriptions I have heard in a long time, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to describing how we find God just all around us Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, I feel like usually I hear like, oh, yeah, it's like the earth and it's Mm -hmm. like all this. And it's like, but I feel like there was so much substance in what you said. Mm -hmm. Like, it just hit me a completely different way. But also God is also like in like the people we meet, right? Like meeting you all. Like you think about how first yourselves, like how from out of everywhere (laughs) we like met. And we would just like have conversations all the time. And like, I remember um, (laughs) me and Truth had this class and we had to, we basically had to do quizzes on the bible and every week we i don't think we'd introduced ourselves yeah, we, we never no. do we didn't i didn't think i don't think i knew my name until like the fifth week but i just was like this person knows exactly <laughs> what i'm going through and like within two minutes we were just like laughing and that that laughter has continued and i, and I think that's god i think yeah, that's, that's god's yeah. divine um divine design yeah. of these people need to. These people will meet in this period of time because that's the lesson they have to learn from each other. And then maybe they'll veer off, and maybe they'll meet each other again. But in this moment, these people have to meet, and I think it's been really beautiful, and I'm grateful. It has been very beautiful. Yes. <laughs> you talked about asking questions that your mom's generation and you know generations before that weren't quite able to ask. Mm-hmm. You talked about you know you're introduced to this religion, Christianity, mm-hmm. that like has this white Jesus that looks the same as the white people that are in your land, in your country, in your homeland. And I guess 
when did you start to have those questions and <coughs> how did you like how did it work like little catalao um, expressing that sure today? so at first it was it was going to church in a i went to a methodist church when we first moved to america um and i was really confused as to why every every communion sunday we would say the same prayer over and over again about like the sins we committed and asking for forgiveness because i was like you'd think after a while you'd either learn your lesson and not sin anymore or god would not <laughs> listen you know like <laughs> and i was though. no i was like 14 and I was like I don't get it <laughs> you know like and I think I have some like uh, unfortunate self-righteous tendencies <laughs> but I was like why can't we just get better and so that was my first question of oh I don't think this theology that I'm being taught is, in church is correct and then um, I think as you become more and more aware of colonialism which also wasn't discussed in our household very much I just started wondering like I always had a problem with the idea that everyone on earth had to know Jesus in order to go to heaven. I just didn't like the idea mm -hmm. <laughs> at all because it just did not make sense. And I just kept wondering, like, what about my great-great-grandmother? Like, mm -hmm. she didn't know Jesus. Is she not going to hell? And that just didn't make sense to me. Um, and then when you put two and two together of the only way she was supposed to know Jesus was through colonization and violence, I refused that idea. Um, hence my beginning to Christ church <laughs> um, and my mother having no time for it. Um, so it was just, it was learning small things and then, and then asking questions and saying that's not my definition of God. And I think the, when you grow up in an African household, particularly like my East African household, like... Um, I don't know what it is, whether it's amnesia or the trauma from the, uh, or like the amnesia from the trauma, but it, colonialism isn't talked about and how Christianity came to us isn't talked about. Or if it is, it's just, uh, well, we needed to go God, know God, so that was necessary. And I just refused to ever, and if I was told that God loves me, it just didn't make sense that God would cause that kind of suffering for me. So I decided, um, I had like a really dramatic um, moment of, uh, of prayer moment with God just saying, you know, um, if hell is my destiny, I'll take hell. But I have to believe that my God is capable of not harming my my great great grandmother. Um, so it was real difficult. <laughs> wow. But um, but I I think it was really necessary. It was a really hard year because without having um, because I didn't I wasn't aware of like my ancestors because all of this is just me figuring things out for myself. And so it was a really hard year not to have like a a religious foundation. But I knew I could not go back to. I couldn't go back to the church. It just wasn't, it wasn't working. <laughs> yeah. I really connected with you on a bunch of things yeah. that you just said. Like, on one hand, like, I'm just seeing the connection, you know, the East African experience, the African experience, and the Black American experience. Like, there's so many people, times I hear, well, you know, Black people, we got Christianity through slavery. Mm -hmm. And I guess that just had to happen mm -hmm. for us to save our souls. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Really? <laughs> Is that mm -hmm. really what you mm -hmm. think? Um, and then even like the idea that you're able to to take control of your own mm -hmm. religious life, your own faith life and say, I need to know and I accept mm -hmm. that what I've been presented with doesn't make sense to me. Mm -hmm. I, I must know. Mm -hmm. God, I know you're real. Mm -hmm. Lead me, guide me. Mm -hmm. Like that's really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So... You know, here at Real Talk on God Talk, we like we really like the real talk real part talk of this. Talk on God Talk. <laughs> right. And we are all about trying to take street knowledge to the academy mm -hmm. and taking academic knowledge and making it accessible for the streets. Sure. And so in the most basic way ever. Yeah. Like basic. <laughs> yeah. What do you study and why does it matter? I have uh, I created my own <laughs> uh, study 
<laughs> um, field of study. And so I call it African theology and ecological spirit. No, African spirituality and ecological theology. Um, because I'm only I'm here for my ancestors and I'm here for my people. Um, mm. But I'm coming from I, the only reason I decided to study religion is because um, the ecological crisis is is obviously really frightening. But for the global south, 2050 is is a lot sooner. Um, global south. Uh, oh, Tell us a little sorry, bit about the global, that. So um, I don't use the terminology of third world. I just I gotcha. say I say global south, and I think when I talk about global south, I talk about uh, formerly colonized um, um, states and people. Yeah, and I feel like. Uh, we all, I don't know. I feel like it's this community that understands each other, but I, it also translates to um, communities of color in the Americas, right? Also, like it's I don't know. It's like a it's a physical place, but it's also a it's also just like an inter <laughs> yeah. a, like a um, interpersonal space too. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna work on the definition. <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we get it. We yeah. get it. Um, yeah. So that's what I meant by the global south. So the global south is gonna be most affected by it, and you see it now today in like the southern United States. Like there's um, rural Rural um, communities of color are dealing with ecological crises, mm-hmm. not only of factories, but um, of like I, I think um, there's like a community in Alabama that's dealing with like really in- insane bacteria in their water system mm-hmm. because whenever it rains, like the pl- like the plumbing just like. <laughs> not a plumber <laughs> but like they're not allowed to like they're not allowed to flush their toilets because everything is getting backed up because there's too much water in the systems wow. right and it's um and so just thinking about how um we as people of color are already being so our lives are being compromised even further by this environmental crisis mm-hmm. um and i think i'm not i'm on one hand i want to have the that hope that naive hope that that something can be changed but when you do all the readings i realize that um, we're gonna have to do a lot of spiritual work to make it through, and so um, I came to I came to study religion because I thought I wanted to be an ordained minister to people in a time of climate change. Like people are gonna need doctors, they're gonna need um, lawyers, maybe, but they're also definitely going to need a spiritual care as yeah. they endure that suffering. But then the wonderful thing about like awakening to ancestors is this idea that for thousands of years our ancestors dealt with ecological <laughs> crises, not to this extent because I mean they had access to nature and clean water and clean air but they have so much wisdom of how to deal with drought how to deal with um a lack um but still be in community with people and not cause suffering for others just for your own survival Woo! did y'all hear that not cause harm to other people for your own survival that's real say that again run that back (laughs) rewind and play that again still be in community with people and not cause suffering for others just for your own survival that is a word (laughs) right there yeah, Katsulao said a lot of important things, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the idea. Like, I, I think a lot of us have the idea that, like, the ecological crisis, being an environmentalist, you know, all these things, like, these are quote-unquote white people they things. They are, yeah. But real talk, it's most affecting our community. Absolutely. Right? Like, when it comes down to it... Uh, rich wealthy communities that are affected by these massive fires in mm-hmm. California they get the insurance money yeah. they get rebuilt you know yeah. they 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 get the things that they need to deal mm-hmm. with it but how are we our communities how are we equipped yeah listen <laughs> not, I, I don't have my notes here with me but I think it was like the Kyoto protocol that talked about how about um, decreasing carbon emissions with every country right like mm-hmm. all of the countries following this limit and then all of a sudden you had these like western philosophers coming up with ideas with coming up with ideas to help the the global north because it's like to them it's unfair that places like Canada for instance have to decrease their 
decrease their carbon emissions when their people have become accustomed to a certain kind of comfort and they need heating and they need cars. So what if we were to, and so like Peter Singer, who's like this like renowned philosopher is like, what if we came up with the idea where um, the global South countries are able to sell their carbon emissions to the global North. And in that instance, the global South will have money, but the global North will also be able to keep their comfort. And it's like, you can't, number one, you can't eat money. Right. Number two, do you want us? Do you want the global south to die? Right. Because <laughs> you also think about how like global south governments like deal with with mm-hmm. that kind of money. Like the people don't receive that. No, money. of course not. Yeah. But just this horrible, selfish idea that you're being asked to reduce your carbon emissions, and your next answer is let's just buy resources once again right. from the global south. What? Or let's keep let's what? keep taking and taking, like don't taking. allow the global and like the only way the, glo- the global south isn't allowed to develop because. Mm-hmm. You need your your like electric blanket, mm-hmm. you know. And I think the I'm not I'm not an economist, so I think that conversation about like what economic development and at least at least in Africa looks like, I'm yeah. always like on the wrong end because I'm like, but the trees, <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and, able, and I'm able to do that because of my privileged like position, of mm-hmm. course, and I recognize the di- naivety behind that. But that's why I think <laughs> the wisdom of the ancestors is the best. Mm. And you talk about the religion of the streets, like, um, you know, I I will say that the, my first awakening that what I was learning in church wasn't correct is because we would go on these like mission trips and like just going to the communities and being yeah. around people and that's when I think I really f- got to understand God. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just yeah. through action and through the world. But your question was about what it, what it means to bring um this this academic dragon to the streets. I think to me like the it's the streets quote unquote that inform me mm-hmm. um and like it's the people from my village back home in Kenya and like mm-hmm. in Nairobi who inform me and like are or the people those are the people I'm citing in all of my papers it's their gotcha. wisdom. I don't know why I'm in school. <laughs> because because um me No, I know yeah, I don't because, think nobody like, does. Cuz what is it what it like who is right. helping to be here? Um yeah. I guess in in some ways it's to combat the the idiot the idiocy of white envir- environmentalists mm. who don't want to talk about white supremacy um mm-hmm. in envir- in talking about the environment and what it means um because I mean maybe call it anthropocentric but I'm not interested in an environmental ethic if people of color are still being dehumanized I don't like say uh, that like, I will this entire ship is going down mm-hmm. if my mother is not being considered a full human being with full rights, right? Yeah. Like, um, it's just not going to work. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm not going to be here for it. Yeah. Um, for us, just once again, to c- perpetuate the cycle. I'm talking a lot. But no, no yeah. girl, yeah. that's, that's why we invited you. <laughs> so what do you think is at stake if you don't talk? Um, well, everything. Um I will once again repeat, because I've been called out on it, that I, I speak for myself um, yeah. because, yeah, I speak for myself, obviously. But um, so I've had, I think it's a real privilege, privilege to have grown up in Kenya and to grow up in America mm-hmm. um, because it gives you this perspective, especially as a black body in this world, that is just not understood. Like, what does it mean to be African in Africa and African in America, but also black in America and black in Africa? Mm-hmm. Um, you having Being able to recognize the ways in which the two communities just do not talk um, and also the animosity between each communities and how that's just really not helping each other like us at all um how in many ways we're also downplaying the experiences of the of of each other because um like i know like i would say from my understanding of kenya it's once again we're dealing with a lack of understanding or a lack of wanting to reflect on the the 
terrible violence our people went through, that they're, uh, well, we're unwilling to talk about white supremacy. We're unwilling to talk about anti-blackness and, and misogyny mm. and like poverty, <laughs> poverty, right? Um, and it's not because, it's not solely because I think we've been, in, we've doctrinated by Western hegemon i think there's like um there's an understanding of our people that you do have responsibility and self-accountability and you do just build yourself up like you don't blame other people for the the position that you're in but we have to we have to recognize like the reason why um kiberia is the largest slum in in the world like it's not because people were lazy and they didn't care about the education it's because the white missionaries dismantled our communities right and all and all of a sudden all these people had no structures to support them so i think that's what's at stake is being able to have that conversation because um it's been difficult because i think i've been called um, i've been called so american back home and it's heartbreaking mm. but um i I think that there's just been so much wisdom wisdom shared with me that I'm so honored to have gained about what it means to be black in this world and to and to be re, and to have resistance against the powers that be that are trying to like bring us down and keep us down and then figuring out how to translate it to people back home that they're willing to to digest it but um the more I, the more I go home in the years I've been returning home it seems like people are awakening to it and they don't have these quote-unquote voices of, of authority whether in politics or the academy or in church who are willing to say these things so they just kind of sit at home just telling these, saying these things to themselves because they're afraid to say it to their community. So mm -hmm. what would it mean to like maybe be one of those people who can out, out loud say, this is what I maybe think is wrong? I mean, you said some key things, particularly for me as a black American, as a black mm -hmm. Caribbean American, also a child of an immigrant. I think you talked about like the commonalities in the experience mm -hmm. across the diaspora, mm -hmm. like there's so many ways in which we are not unified. Mm -hmm. Like the experience I I know secondhand having seen African immigrants come into mm -hmm. my public school classes mm -hmm. and the ways that they've been treated mm -hmm. by black Americans, the ways in which black Americans are treated by Caribbean Americans Absolutely. and like, you know, back and forth, yeah. it can go. But And the odd anti-blackness that like Africans have of African Americans. Right. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes down to it, if we are fighting anti-blackness, mm -hmm. unity is important. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that we can like recognize that is in seeing how our experience is the same. Um, Katilao did a presentation about what's at stake if mm -hmm. we don't study African mm -hmm. traditional religions. And she referenced a letter from King Leopold, mm -hmm. who was um, a king in Belgium, who went into the Congo and pillaged destroyed massacred did every horrible thing you can think of mm -hmm. um and the letter that he wrote to the european missionaries telling them how to spread christianity mm -hmm. in the congo was just disgusting mm -hmm. um we'll read some excerpts for you from the letter and we can talk a little bit about it what struck me about the letter is if any of you are familiar with um the willie lynch letter mm -hmm. so mind you it's a it's a it's not historically factual mm -hmm. letter but the contents of the letter talked about how uh, slave owners can manipulate the minds mm -hmm. of black american slaves and the logic behind both mm -hmm. letters are just remarkably similar mm -hmm. so uh truth if you could read a little bit of the letter to truth the people and yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i'll start from like the beginning of that letter so we can have some type of reference and says the main goal of your mission in the Congo is not to teach the Negro the knowledge of God, because they already know him. They talk and commit 
themselves to their God. You will interpret the gospel in a way to protect and serve the interests of Belgium. I'm going to skip down a little bit. They would not rebel against the injustice done to them by the colonists. Make them always meditate on, Blessed be those that weep, cry, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Convert the blacks always by means of the whip. Avoid, by all means, the blacks becoming rich. Cause them to each and every day that is impossible for a rich man to enter heaven. Make them pay tithes each Sunday for church. Utilize this money that is intended for the poor for our business investments. We'll put up more or like the whole thing up on our social media and our website so everybody can see like the entire letter. But just reading that says so mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Katila, what, 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 what do you take from that letter just in terms of how Christianity reached the African sure. continent and what that says to us, black people, American, mm-hmm. African, Caribbean, around the world. Like, what does it say about us and our, like, how we relate to Christianity? I think what strikes me, what struck me first upon reading that is we were recognized for how powerful and amazing we were from the start and by people who, like, who who decided to define us, right? Like, they even recognize our in- how incredible we were and they said we have to put these it's like that's what gets me first is this like now we don't believe in ourselves but even then upon first encountering African people King Leopold was like oh my gosh this is going to take this is going to take some time to put down these so that's what gets me first is like we always had it right and we did not that we need Europeans to tell us but like anyone could recognize we had it right um uh I think that's a this letter is like a big I, I hadn't read this letter before my own um returning back to my my quote-unquote roots it just complicates it for me because um I, I I think I I totally recognize that like my relatives and my sister like they love Jesus and they've seen Jesus working in their lives but for me I can't <laughs> I can't reconcile I can't reconcile the two like we didn't receive the gospel through the apostles we received it through missionaries and guns and warfare um the gospel we received wasn't to save our souls the gospel was to take our resources mm. um and so is that a defi- is that a divine message? You know, like that to me just sounded like the devil taking appropriating God's work and bringing it to us. So if anything, we've just been following what the devil wants us to. But then again, that's just me. Um, and that's not. And I and I and, and um, I think it's really important to like. So thinking back to like single mothers, I think about how little support they have in this world. And for my mother, like her faith in her faith in God and her faith in, in Jesus, which is the only um, divine entity she understands and recognizes and it has wor- words for, that's so important. And if you can't, if you don't have a substitute, like let I mean, let my mother <laughs> let my mother pray to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's so complicated, um, but it's just so hurtful. It's it was it was it was hurtful. Um, so I don't know how to sit with that. I've come to my peace with it, as in I let it all go immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are individuals who I think it's I, I always find it really fascinating to talk to individuals who are able to um, to to like see read that, sit with it, acknowledge it, and then continue on um, because the gospel of Jesus is that important to them. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. Like I have a very simple way of going through life. Like I'm very like 
yes, no. <laughs> so mm-hmm. to that I said, no, thank you. <laughs> Take my baptism away, my confirmation away. But, it, you know, I will note this. When I was getting baptized at the age of 13, I think it was like the ancestor, like when an ancestor came through, I just started giggling during my baptism. It was like, we're not taking this seriously. <laughs> so receive it because your mother wants you to, but no. No, no, no. Uh, so I was like, why am I laughing? This is so weird. Um, but yeah, sorry. I mean, so we asked Katalao a very difficult question to to answer. And I think that she really hit it on the head when she said, for me, I had to let it go. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we asked the question, can you be black, woke, and a Christian? And for Katalao, no. Mm-hmm. For for well yeah as right. me I I couldn't be a woke Christian right, right. for Catalan, but no. I know that there are very many black woke Christians right. for right yeah for me yeah I'm on my journey now yeah. I haven't quite decided yeah like at the at the height of uh, when uh, when Eric Garner's killer was acquitted mm-hmm. that hit me in the gut mm-hmm. it really woke me up in a way of I had I was an African American studies major in college I understand the oppressive system and the oppressive forces at work however that idea that we are so hated that Mm -hmm. you can look on camera Mm -hmm. and see a murder be perpetrated and then have this world this government this society that is supposed to hold me and Mm -hmm. say you are important you are a person look at me in my eyes and say no you're not you're Mm -hmm. nothing that was just too much for me to Mm -hmm. handle and at that point I had a crisis of faith Mm -hmm. like it was just like how like churches aren't saying anything about it like most mainstream churches when i say mainstream i'm talking about most mainstream white mainline churches Mm -hmm. aren't really talking about this and so it doesn't matter to them and if it doesn't matter to them then i don't matter to them and it really sent me down a path of okay i connect to my community i love my grandma my grandma told me christianity is the way to go Mm And I was scared, like, you know, Mm -hmm. at the back of my mind, that that idea of, okay, if you don't believe this, you're going to hell. Mm -hmm. That was like a real thing. Mm -hmm. And so I had to, much like Katalao, say, okay, maybe I'm going to go to hell, Mm -hmm. but I need to know. Mm -hmm. And so when I started reading up on, um, so we'll we'll put some resources on our site, but uh, there's many different ways to interpret the Bible, mm-hmm. many different ways to mm-hmm. interpret Christianity. And one way is liberation theology. Mm-hmm. One way is black liberation mm-hmm. theology. And so when I started reading up about this empowering way mm-hmm. of looking at Christianity as, as the only true road to freedom, being concerned with black people, mm-hmm. oppressed people, you know, people at the bottom, bottom, mm-hmm. bottom is the only way mm-hmm. to find salvation. Yeah. I found like another inroad into Christianity that yeah. said, maybe I can take this seriously. Yeah. Maybe this is for me. But I think I just I just really appreciate the sensitivity that mm-hmm. you talk about it with because my mom, like your mom, Katalao, you know, she she, she has questions, mm-hmm. you know, but she has her everyday experience sure. and Jesus has taken Absolutely. her through her everyday experience. Absolutely. Like she can always question it in the future if she decides to yeah. or whatever, but for right now, 
her faith carries her and sure. I would never disrespect that or Absolutely. disparage that. Yeah. You know? And I think for me, another reason I couldn't continue on with Christianity is, um, once again, my ancestors, um, I've heard a lot of calls from them. Yeah. <laughs> and so because they're so real to me, anything that ever called them demonic is just canceled mm. um, to me and just had to go away. But I agree that finding the ser- like the sermons and lectures he would hear from Dr. James Cone um, were a really wonderful reminder of, of, of how I think I was able to find my peace with Jesus because of Dr. Cohn. And I, I still keep going back to what um, all of his various interviews and many, many moments of brilliance where he just talks about what it means to be a person who embodies justice in, in mm. the West, especially in the Western world, in the Western Academy. So I think in many ways, Black liberation theology um, gives me the tools to navigate scholarship. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Rest in peace, Dr. Cohn. So thank you, Katilao, for this amazing interview. We learned so much. Thank you for like Thank you so much for having your, me. No, thank this you for like your gentle <laughs> your 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 gentleness when you speak and then also um the power with which you speak. Mm-hmm. Um your ancestors really come through and so thank you because it, it really was an honor for us to have, you know, a black woman scholar here. Mm-hmm. Um who can really talk the talk and you talk from your own experience mm-hmm. which is so beautiful mm-hmm. uh without i have I like sometimes you'll hear other scholars speak and it feels like they're speaking for everybody mm-hmm. or they're putting you down for what you believe in mm-hmm. um you don't do that and so you know just thank you so much for being here mm-hmm. and well thank you all because <laughs> a lot of a lot of how i am and how i'm able to move through the academies because of having friendships like you like you all and like finding other people who don't want to have all this orna- silly ornamental stuff. Um, and you guys are just so real. Um, and you've taught me a lot about what it means to walk with integrity in this space. So thank you. Oh, oh we love you, Katilao. <laughs> we love you too, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so Katilao, we're rooting for you and your journey. And you. we're definitely going to always be your number one fan. Thank you. <laughs> Back and, at you. Yes. <laughs> And then um, for our listeners, we got a special treat. We got some bonus content coming with Katilao, but you got to watch Real Talk on God's Talk Straight No Chaser um, this Sunday, and that'll be the bonus content with Katilao, but we're not going to say anything about it. So you got to tune in. Yes. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) To keep the conversation going, tell us what you think by following us on Instagram or Twitter at Real Talk on God Talk. Today is Tuesday, February 19th, and you're listening to Keeping Time with Yaya. It's the moon reading. Tonight, on February 19th, we'll be meeting the super snow moon. Ooh. Mysterious. Yes. Right? So, for all of you wondering what's the super moon and what's the super snow moon, the super snow moon is the point of the year where the moon is closest to the earth. And so with that proximity means a super strong connection. And so this is a good time to really consider if you work with rituals, if you work with crystals, a supercharged time of the year. Um, In addition to that, emotions will be heightened. Be Uh aware, right? (laughs) Nothing wrong with feeling deeply, taking this time of heightened emotion and like really going in and feeling what you feel if you feel anger don't be afraid to feel that anger if you feel sadness deep sorrow don't be afraid to shed a tear 
However, be aware. Don't get carried away. Don't do anything rash. And don't say things you don't mean. That's your moon reading. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Yaya, for that lovely moon reading. Now, y'all take heed. Don't don't be saying stuff you shouldn't be saying. <laughs> Letting the emotions. Exactly. You can't always blame it on the moon. <laughs> but thank you, Yaya. Always making sure we staying right around here. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Real Talk on God Talk. Remember, this Sunday will be a new episode of Straight No Chaser. So you can catch it on our YouTube channel, on our IGTV. So make sure you hit up our Instagram at Real Talk on God Talk to get all the links. Like, subscribe, share, tell a friend to tell Review. a friend. Yes, leave us some five stars on iTunes. If you like this podcast, share with your friends. Uh, help us expand our listenership. And we want to be able to just have listeners all over. And we want you to join the conversation as well. Thanks for another great episode. And we'll catch you on the next one. Peace. Bye, y'all. I don't believe in God. I know God. I love me some Jesus. Doing too much. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's on the next episode. It's the moon reading. I rock with you, Yaya. It's all love. They better listen to this advice. We good. You crazy, girl. This is what this show is about, all right? We With keep the it real. real and real talk. The God in God talk. And that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>